Thanks, Britton. Band. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lance Leonard, and as Russ said, I grew up in this church, and that's probably the reason it's the most intimidating to be standing here right now, because there are probably those of you who remember little eight-year-old Lance 29 years ago as my family moved back to the area. Um, And every opportunity that I get to stand in front of you, I just have to say thank you as a church uh, for the investment you've made in my life, my family's life. Um, It has been uh, a road of lots of ups and downs, right? And we as a family have gone through it together as a church body, and I thank you for that. Um, And it's actually as a student in the youth group here uh, about 20 years ago that I first started feeling this call in my life. Um, to do something bigger and, and better for God. And here's how I interpreted that at the time. Because, and that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about this morning, because my gross misinterpretation of that calling went something like this. Okay, God, I know you want to do something bigger and better with me, and here's the deal I'll make with you, is that I'll go into a career in technology, and I'll retire early with lots of money, lots of power, lots of fame, and I'll go use those resources for you to make a bigger and better impact for you. And so that was the interpretation that I had, and honestly, God has blessed us through that. I wouldn't say that I have lots of money or lots of power or lots of fame, or otherwise I probably wouldn't be standing here right now, but um, that has been a, a, a something that God has blessed me through anyway and preserved us through, and uh, here I stand, because it was a couple of years later that God really renewed that call in my life to do something bigger, and so this past spring I started attending seminary at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, pursuing a Master of Divinity in leadership, and honestly I still have zero clue what's after that. But I'm there out of obedience to his calling, just as I am here this morning. But really, there's somebody who's more responsible for me being here this morning, because when Ryan and I were having lunch about four months ago, uh, we were just sitting at Buffalo Wild Wings having lunch, and I was talking a little bit about my background and some of my passions, and Ryan said, well, have you ever considered preaching? It's kind of a loaded question. Um, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I have friends who are church planters in the area that I've thought about just saying, Hey, if you needed to take a break one weekend, let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll come hang out. Um, but then he rephrased the question and he said, no, have you ever considered preaching at Ellisville? No, <laughs> because really that wouldn't even be an option because as I look around at the people who, sh- who have shared the word with me over the last 29 years, there are people much more qualified and, and wise than I who could be doing that. And it's just not the protocol at Ellisville to do that. We've had very qualified guest speakers in the past come in and, and share God's word with us. And that's just how we do things. Uh, then he called about a month later and said, hey, you're preaching on December 28th. So here we stand. So we'll see how this goes, okay? So I, I would ask that you be uh, gracious to me as we go through this this morning because there really is a first time for everything, and, and here we are. But as I began praying about what God wanted me to share this morning, um, I ended up having to wrestle with him a little bit because Romans 8 is one of probably the most popular chapters in all of Scripture in one of the most popular books with definitely one of the most memorized verses in Romans 8.1 in all of Scripture, 
And so what else really is there that can be said about it? If you've been at Ellisville the last year or so, I know you've heard it preached on at least once, maybe a couple of times. And so I wrestled with God and said, look, who am I to be able to share something new that something that people are going to be so familiar with? But I lost that battle too. And again, here we are. So if you were here several weeks ago to hear Ketrick Newell finish up Disciple Now with the students. He shared an illustration. He had three people come up, and one of them had a sign that said body, one of them had a sign that said soul, and one of them had a sign that said spirit. And he shared the illustration that when we give our lives over to the Lord, he replaces our spirit with his Holy Spirit, right? But our body and our soul remain. And that's really what we're going to focus on this morning as we ask the question, where is our focus? And so as we look through Romans 8 this morning, I want to challenge you, as I've challenged myself over the last several weeks as I've prepared, to ask yourself, where is your focus? So keep that visual in the back of your mind of God replacing our spirit with the Holy Spirit, but our body and soul remain, because that's really where we're going to focus this morning. And it begins, like Larry read, in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So let's unpack that just a bit. Because anytime you see the word therefore, you have to look for context. And that context comes to us from the end of Romans 7 in verses 22 through 25. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We'll stop there because that provides us enough context to really look at the the message Paul is trying to leave with his people here. Paul is wrapping up in those four verses a several chapter argument for salvation and our need for grace. And it, it refers to sin as this captive force that comes from the war between the law of God and the law of sin. But the victory is found through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Paul is basing his declaration here on that statement and that victory that comes through Jesus Christ, that because of that, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the sin that takes us captive acknowledges this judgment that comes with sin. Now, the judgment could be from other people, as you see other sin, or it could come from within and the guilt and shame that we lay upon ourselves as we find ourselves wrestling in sin. As we do anything that does not jive with the, the words of Christ, we hold ourselves back from being able to experience life fully in Christ. And honestly, we could just hang out here all day long. In these first two verses, there's really enough there. Because how powerful are those words? And how amazing is that truth that there is now, Right now, today, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have a relationship with Christ, there is no condemnation. You don't have to feel that guilt and shame that comes with living a life of sin because Christ has set you free on the cross. 
You've been set free from all of these things. There is no need for guilt. There is no need for shame. There is no need for judgment because Christ has set you free. But that immediate satisfaction that comes from knowing that really plays a pretty close second to the freedom from the eternal condemnation from God's judgment as well. That the condemnation we face also comes from eternity and being able to live life, joy, and peace eternally rather than the fear, the guilt, and the shame that could come from living in sin. And we really could just stop there, but we need some practical advice because I would venture to guess that that seems a little too good to be true, even for those who are familiar with it. That this, like I said, is one of those most familiar passages, one of the most memorized scriptures in, in all of the Bible, but who among us doesn't still wrestle with that? Even though we understand it, don't we still challenge ourselves that really that's too good to be true, and we still allow ourselves to be held back by guilt and shame? Now, I love this line. It comes from an article about Jonathan Edwards written by Dane Ortland. He says, For a Christian to wallow in sin and misery is for a butterfly to crawl miserably along the branch as if it were still a caterpillar. Isn't that what happens when we are born again, when we give our lives over to Jesus, that he makes us new? He gives us a new spirit and makes us a beautiful butterfly able to fly free. Yet what do we do? We still wrestle with that truth and we end up crawling along the branch unaware of the freedom that we have access to through Christ and his spirit. That isn't this freedom, this beauty that comes along with renewing ourselves through Christ exactly what every human being is seeking on earth? That for some, the freedom might be quite literal. It might be literal freedom because they live in an oppressive land. That those here in the U.S., though, we experience freedom and the ability to come worship at will. But there are people who don't experience that freedom. So for our own context here in the States, that freedom that may not be so literal maybe is more intangible. That it's something more inward, something like happiness or contentment. Maybe it sounds familiar in money, power, and fame. Because wouldn't it be great if we had the financial freedom to not be under the, the, be enslaved by debt and things like that? That if only we had financial freedom, we could do so much. I think we're all seeking that same freedom. And out of that freedom comes our purpose. And from that purpose comes our meaning. And from that meaning comes what we are guided by. And then what we would be measured by, what we measure ourselves by comes out of what it is that we're seeking purpose in. So if we're seeking purpose in money, what are we going to be measured by? How much money we have? If we're seeking purpose in fame, we're going to find purpose and find measurement in how famous we are, how many friends we have as we focus on those things. And really, even back to the Old Testament, that's exactly why the Israelites found themselves seeking to obey the law so fully. It was to be one with God. They thought that by obeying the law, that they would be one with God and experience the blessings that he could provide. And keep in mind who's writing this letter to the Romans is Paul. One could really call Paul a super Jew because he was so zealous about the law that he followed it more closely than anyone. 
Yet he was also a pretty bad guy in that he called for the arrest and, and murder of Christians. And so here's a guy that was not only not good enough, but he was also not bad enough to find grace from God. The only place that comes is from faith. So let's see how Paul reflects on this here back in Romans 8 verses 3 and 4. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Did you see that there? That for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. For the Israelites were seeking life in the law, but the law can't provide life. The law can't condemn sin because law, the law is what gives us context to sin in the first place. And so without it, we wouldn't have the measurement by which our own guilt is found. But we're human and our feeble minds need boundaries. We need rules. We need guidelines to stay within because without it, where else would we find that justification that we seek? Because if we have a bar set, then we can achieve that bar and that gives us the justification or in Christianese that makes us righteous when we achieve the bar that we've set. And I know there's some overachievers in the room. Some of you want to overachieve and go above and beyond that bar that is set for us in the law. And then maybe we'll find that justification by our own behavior, by our good deeds, by our morality, by staying within or even exceeding those boundaries. But as Paul is reminding us here that even as a believer, even as a Christian, no matter how long you've had a relationship with Jesus, you're still susceptible to being influenced by the flesh, to seeking purpose in the things of the world because we're bombarded every single day with how we should measure ourselves seeking money and power and fame. And your body and soul are still the same as they were before because we have not yet allowed our minds to be renewed, as Romans 12.2 says, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul says in Galatians, he says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. In Romans 8.5, Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their things on the things, of, set their minds on the things of the spirit. So what is the flesh here that Paul is talking about? He is talking about, he's using this Greek word sarks. It's used almost 150 times in the New Testament. And it can be translated several ways. It can be translated as your physical body. It can be translated as your physical origin or your ancestry or where you came from. It can also be translated as your human nature. And that's what we are going to talk about this morning and the context in which Paul is using it here. He further defines that flesh in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, where he says, The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this list includes several actions and several character traits that can separate us from our relationship with God. And some of them I myself find myself struggling with often. I mean, think about it. Jealousy. 
Fits of anger. Please don't ask my family. Just trust me on this one. This is one I struggle with. Fits of anger. Divisions. Look around us. Our political climate right now, our community is based on causing division. So we're still susceptible, no matter how long we have had this relationship with Christ, we are still susceptible to the things of the flesh. None of us is completely immune. Because what is, com- what is common about each of these things? Each of these things that are found in the works of the flesh is quite selfishly focused on immediate gratification. It's all about my happiness and my happiness right now as I seek purpose in the things of the world. So we see first that a mindset on the flesh is short-sighted. It's all about me and me right now. But let's contrast that with the things of the Spirit. Because remember, Paul suggests that the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So what is the Spirit? Well, the Greek word Paul uses here is pneuma. And it also has several meanings, but in this context, Paul is using it to refer to the third person of the triune God. That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in this context... Paul is referencing the Holy Spirit that replaces our own spirit the moment we place our faith and our trust in Jesus. And Paul only uses this word pneuma twice in the first seven chapters of Romans. But here in the first 11 verses of Romans 8, he uses it 11 times. 20 in all of chapter 8, he uses this word. So he's serious about pointing the reader to the Spirit's role and power in his life. So what does life in the Spirit look like? Let's go back to Galatians 5 and look at verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Tack 24 on to the end of that. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now these traits seem like things we would each like to aspire to. Who among us doesn't want to love more, be more joyful, have more peace? They're things that not only affect our own lives, they affect the lives around us, and not only for today, they affect us for many years to come, and they affect us for eternity. So the second thing we can see here in contrast to the things of the flesh being short-sighted, a mindset on the spirit is eternally focused. So as we read on in Romans 8 and verse 6, we can also see that a mindset on the flesh finds death. That if you remember back in verse 2, Paul says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And he continues the theme there in Romans 6 with, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Again, back in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, he says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So it seems pretty clear to me here that Paul is trying to make a significant point. Because he repeats himself several times in just a few verses as well as many of his letters that he wrote to the churches. 
And so he's suggesting here that to set your mind on the flesh will only lead to death. And we have context to what living in the flesh looks like and setting our mind on the flesh looks like. And to be perfectly honest with you, I want to believe that a loving God would not subject anyone to eternity in hell. That a loving God would not cause us to suffer. But it's very clear, the scriptures make it very clear that to set your mind on anything but Christ, to set your mind on the flesh, you will find only death. That's death in the present through the guilt and shame that we find under the the law of sin. And it's also death in eternity as we are separated from God for all of eternity. But we see there that a mind set on the flesh finds death, but a mind set on the spirit will find life. So let's continue in Romans 8 verse 7. Paul writes, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So in other words here, a mind set on the flesh is captive. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. And so they're hostile to God. A mind set on the flesh does not, cannot submit to God's law. Because it is slave to sin, it is consumed by, it is enslaved by, it is focused on the things of the flesh. It is held captive, it is imprisoned, it is condemned by the guilt and shame that comes from living according to the law of sin. And in contrast though, a mind set on the spirit is free. It's a beautiful butterfly made new, able to fly free, not being subjected to having, walk, having to walk along the branch, condemned by sin. So the righteous requirement, remember, has been fulfilled in us, both in Christ meeting the law at the cross, but also by our life in Christ as we set our minds on the spirits. And then Paul really drops the bombshell there in verse 8 when he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. As we seek purpose, as we seek life, as we seek to please God and find our way into heaven, what are we trying to do to find uh, pleasure in God, to please God? We are seeking purpose in the things of the flesh, and therefore we cannot please him. One cannot please both man and God at the same time. It's impossible. They are diametrically opposed to one another. They are at odds with one another because the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And so there's a very interesting bottom line to all of this. That one can still make a decision to surrender their life to Christ and still be susceptible to the things of the flesh. They can still be consumed by these things that get in the way of us experiencing life fully in the spirit. Todd Wilson says in his commentary on Galatians that a person cannot break their union with God, but they can interrupt their communion with God. That once you place your faith and your hope and your trust in Christ, once you enter a relationship with God, he's not going anywhere. Your union, your bond with him cannot be broken. But you can interrupt the communion with him By setting your mind on the flesh and not allowing your body and your soul to be renewed by the Holy Spirit that is the gift that we are given as we place our faith in Christ. So for those of you who do declare a relationship with God, who have put your faith in Christ, Paul does have some encouragement. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. 
that if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. According to Genesis 1-2, the Spirit was present at creation. The Spirit lived within Jesus. The Spirit lived there with Jesus. The Spirit brought Jesus to life. So that same power, that same exact power that was present there when God breathed life and created the universe, that same power that brought the dead to life, that same power lives in you. It's a pretty profound truth. But still knowing that truth, we still wrestle with this fact that we feel condemned by the law of sin. Why is that? It's because we're human. Because think back to Ketrick's illustration, that if this promise is true, that if you have life through the Spirit, why don't we automatically begin bearing the fruit of the Spirit the moment we give our lives over to Jesus? Why to an outsider might there be no difference between me, a follower of Christ, and someone who has zero relationship with Jesus? How could there be no difference between us when we've seen the works of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit? How can there be no difference? So I challenge you to ask yourself the same question that Paul asked the Galatians and just Fair warning, these are Paul's words, not mine. But it's a question that I try to ask myself often. He says, are you so foolish that having begun by the Spirit, are you now seeking, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That even as Christians, even though we have the Spirit living within us, we continue to set our minds on, we continue to focus on, we continue to be consumed by and find purpose in the things of the flesh. We measure ourselves against a law and a system that can do nothing but condemn, expecting that we will find life. Our sin blinds us to our own sin, and as a result, we are interrupting our communion with God. So here we are at the end of a year, walking into a new year. And as we begin 2015, where is your mind going to be set? Where is your focus going to be? Have you made or will you make resolutions for 2015? Will you set goals for 2015? So here's my caution to you, that if you're a goal-oriented person, it's very easy for those goals to consume you, to become everything for you, for you will worship them like an idol until you have achieved them. Now, there's nothing wrong with setting resolutions. Many of us need goals to achieve, but I challenge you to ask yourself the question, are those goals and those resolutions that you set, are you finding your purpose in them? Where should you find your purpose? You should find your purpose in the Spirit. Because those things can steal your focus away from the Spirit. And so whether this is the first time you've heard the name Jesus, or if you've been a Christian for 60 years, choose now to set your focus on the things of the Spirit. And don't misinterpret 
setting your mind on the things of the spirit as, okay, God, I will go get a career in technology and spend the next 20 years pursuing money and power and fame so that I can do bigger things for you because you don't need to do that. All you need to do is set your mind on the things of the spirit and those things will come. Because God, Christ, God promises us life in the spirit. So now as we close, we have an opportunity for you to respond. And so as I pray and the, and, and the ushers come forward to collect the offering, we're going to have a couple of songs. And then as you exit, when you're dismissed out the, out the doors, hang a left in the, in the lobby and there will be some deacons there. Pastor Russ will be out there. I'll hang out there. But we want to pray with you to get 2015 started off on the right foot. As we as a body, as we as a collective group of people here in the room set our minds on the things of the Spirit, imagine what life can look like, not only for you as an individual, but for you as a member of First Baptist Church of Ellisville, for you as a member of this community, for you as a member of the kingdom of God. Imagine what it would look like if we collectively set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to come worship freely for you and with you. God, I thank you for this message that you gave us in your word here. That we would be challenged to live life in the spirit. That we would set our focus on you and only you and nothing else. And that by setting our our minds on the things of the spirit, that the byproducts would be greater than we ourselves could even imagine. And God, as we compound that, exponentially through the growth of your kingdom that your will would be done on earth here as it is in heaven, God. I just thank you for, again, the opportunity to to be here this morning. Thank you for the calling on my life that I can uh, pursue and, and be here in obedience to you. God, I pray this morning that as we leave this place that we would do so with our minds set on you and that we would give back and that you would take these gifts that we give to you not only in our hearts, but God, in the the gifts that we give here during this time, that you would bless them, that you would use them and use us to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.